You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rolled on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This really is a beautiful psalm. My only hope and prayer is that God speaks to you as powerfully as he did to me as I prepared for this time. We're going to break this down into three sections. One of the nicest things about preaching this is in the Bible, it actually has a heading, kind of like a cliff notes, telling us exactly the context of this psalm. If you look in your Bible, it's right in there. We don't always know. And this is a psalm of David when he has been delivered. This is David now as he has taken his throne, looking back at the deliverance of God and where God has brought him from. And that's what we're going to look at, the deliverance of God. We're going to break it up into three sections of the what, the how, and the why. They don't all start with the same letter, but it's still got a nice flow though, right? What, how, why. That's where we're going Because the what is David looks at his deliverance. He is just unbelievably overwhelmed at what God has done for him. If you look and saw, did you see exactly how the psalm starts? It begins, I love you, O Lord. And it's almost odd the amount of names he gives him. Right? My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, I take refuge, my shield. It's almost like he can't help himself. My salvation, my stronghold, my big kahuna, my man, my God. I am overwhelmed at my love for you because he's looking back at what God has done for him. And he is just overflowing with love. Wouldn't you want to be in that place where just the love of God is spilling out of you. That word right out of the gate 
Is I love you, O Lord? There's different words for love, and that is the word rock'em. Kind of pronounced like rock'em sock'em robots. You remember those guys, those ones? Now you're going to remember that word. The Hebrew word is rock'em. It actually comes from the same word for womb. It's used to describe like a father's love to a kid or a mother's love to their infant, to their baby. Is there a more tender, a more pure love than that? And that is where David is at as he thinks of God. He is overwhelmed with gratitude and love. How did he get to that place? How do we get to that place where that is just flowing out of us? For David, he got there by looking back at what God has done for him. I mean, look where David was as he is reflecting on his journey with God. Let's look at that together. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. That's bad. I don't know if you've been to Sheol lately. It's not good. Like that is bad. If you're unfamiliar with Sheol is, that is the place of the dead. That is the grave. And that is a part of what gets David to that joy, right? If God had just spared him and he had a nice cush posh life, I think this would be a very different Psalm. God, thanks for my unbelievable privilege and my super easy, comfy life. Thanks, God. Real swell of you. David was in the pit. He was on death's doorstep. And it was remembering where God had rescued him from that leads him to just overflow with gratitude and praise. He was on death's doorstep. David didn't know if he was going to make it. I like that word torrents because it really gets at a lot of kind of the picture throughout this psalm. I don't know if you caught some of kind of like the storm illusions and the kind of the metaphor of the storms of life. And that's what David's saying. The storms of life almost overtook me. David is saying, look, those torrents, I was about to drown. You think of that movie scene, right, where somebody's trapped, the water's rising, they have like this much air left, and they're just breathing that last breath. That's where David said he was. Have you ever been in that place where you just feel like you're drowning? Have you ever been in that place where you're like, I, God, I can't take any more or I'm going under? That's where David was. That is where David was when God rescued him. And he reflects on that. And I want you to reflect on your story right now. Right? When, when we come to Christ, we just want to, man, that's a lot of messed up stuff I came from. That's in the past. I just want to be a new person. And look, you don't need to identify with your past. You can separate yourself from the shame of your past. But he uses the depths of the pit of his past to fuel him to praise. That's why he's overflowing. It's like, God, I remember when I was there. Do you remember where you were when God found you? Maybe 
Maybe you were even, you know, a Christian early in life and you didn't have this crazy story. But even now you could think if God left you to your own sin, where would you be if God didn't step in? Do you know exactly that place or was it a time frame? Do you remember that hospital bed where you screamed out to God? Maybe for you, you were sitting in a rehab, screaming out to God, and you were at your lowest. Maybe you were in a toxic relationship, and you felt like you were going to go under. Where were you when God began to deliver you? And I think that fuels us to praise when we remember where we would have been, where we were, If God didn't step into our life, but here's a part of the trick. I don't want you to just look back at the past and remember all the bad things that happened to you, all your trauma, because David doesn't just look at his past. He doesn't look at those things he's able to see. He looks back at his past with eyes of faith and he brings all the unseen realities of heaven into view. So as you look at your past and remember where God has brought you from, I also want you to zoom out and bring heaven into the picture and allow that to remember who God is in the midst of that. I love this Philip Yancey quote, and this is kind of what I'm talking about. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. See, David is remembering how he was on death's doorstep. But then he zooms out and brings heaven into the picture and he looks at his circumstances through the lens of God's perspective. And I want us to do that today. I want you to zoom out. Because as you look at that and it seems so bad, what was happening in the heavens when that was happening to you? Because what David remembers, yes, how bad it was, but he also remembers who God was and who God was to him in the midst of that. He zooms out and gives us this crazy picture of heaven in the midst of that. You remember that? It talked about smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. Because he remembers where he was, but he also remembers in that moment, God was not ambivalent. God was angry at what was happening to him. Think of how much healing would happen in your soul right now when in that moment you felt like God didn't care what was happening to you and you zoom out and saw God was furious at what was being done to you and it was killing him and he at that moment set out on a rescue mission and yes it took longer than you hoped it would for him to get there but can you zoom out and look at what happened to you, but look at it through the lens of heaven that God didn't leave you alone. He wasn't ambivalent. He was angry and began a rescue mission of deliverance to come and find you. Isn't that a wild picture of God? When you think of God, do you think of smoke coming from his nostrils? He goes on to talk about God is a storm. 
Do you think of God as a dark storm? Smoke coming from his nostrils? Like if you could text Jesus, like if I gave you his number, I wouldn't text him because the roaming charges would be through the roof to heaven, right? It'd be cost you an arm and a leg. I wouldn't do it. But just think, right? If you could text Jesus right now and ask him how he's doing, would you ever expect Jesus to respond with this emoji, right? That's biblical. Smoke coming from his nostrils. But we don't think of God that way. We think of him just maybe sending a gif of like petting lambs because that's what we think of Jesus, not angry and just enraged. It's kind of fun. I <laughs> I played this psalm for my daughter as we were going to school because I wanted to hear her thoughts. And I was just like, what do you think? And the, the first thing she commented on was that verse of flame and smoke coming from his nostrils. It was like, can God be that way? And we talked about it. She's like, I didn't know God had nostrils. Well, let's talk about that. I don't think he does. But then we talked about, yes, God, it talked about his anger. And we get uncomfortable with that picture of God for a couple reasons. But one commentary I think really helped us to wrap our heads around, helped me to wrap my head around, how do we view God's anger? Look what he says. The portrayal of God's indignation and readiness to vindicate gives comfort to the psalmist. He does not fear God's coming in anger because his father comes to his rescue. Do we have a big enough view of God that he is angry. And here's why we don't like to picture God's anger. Because I think almost all of us don't want him to be that way because we think God is angry at me. But if you are a child of God, I want you to wrap your head around this, that God isn't angry at you, he's angry for you. And think about that for a minute, that God loves you so deeply That when you are in pain, he is enraged and he comes to your rescue and he comes to vindicate those that he loves. I want to have a view of God that big. The picture that the psalmist gives us of God isn't just this kind of, you know, petting lambs Jesus. It's of this warrior king that comes to fight for you and isn't angry at you but he's angry for you to avenge you. He wants to avenge you and whatever was done to you. So we talked about in the car and she was like, you should say that. I was like, I know I'm going to. (laughs) We didn't listen to scripture the whole time. I think it turned to Taylor Swift at some point, but it was a beautiful moment there in the middle. Do you think about God that way? God. Is angry at what happened to you, and he's angry for you. But we don't have peace, because I think we have too small a view of God. I thought about it this way. We are given over to panic, because our view of God is too pathetic. We have this sterile, soft view of God that doesn't encapsulate the warrior king that sets out to avenge us and protect his children. And I want to zoom out and know that's the king that fights for me. And as we look at the what of deliverance, 
of kind of how, you know, you know, David's looking at his deliverance and what happened. It really became to me a story of the who of deliverance. And this really was in some ways the most worshipful part for me. Because David is reflecting on where he was and what God did for him. And I want you to do that as well. I want you to reflect on where you were in that low place and where God has brought you from. And that's what he's doing. He's looking back. But I want you to remember that your God fights for you and it isn't you that delivers yourself. I just copied and pasted all the things that God did to deliver David. Look at this list. He heard, he bowed, he came down, he rode, he thundered, he uttered, he sent arrows, he scattered, he flashed forth lightning, he routed, he rebuked, he took me, he drew me out of the waters, he rescued me, he brought me out into a broad place, he delighted in me. David was overcome with joy. Because he knew who his God was and he knew that it was God that did that for him. Now I took all of the verbs that applied to David and what he did in his deliverance and rescue. I want you to look at God's list and then I want you to look at David's list. Not as impressive. The only thing that David did to be delivered was he cried out to God. David knew he was not responsible at all. You are not responsible for fixing your life. Have you gotten to that point where you know you can't save yourself? You can't deliver yourself. All you can do is cry out to God. And it is God who saves. And David remembers that, and it's just overflowing in praise. I want you to know that that is true as a child of God. I want you to look at, and it actually starts with what David did. That's what triggers all of what God did. So David cried. What's the first thing that God did? He heard. How many people have walked away from God? Because in their moment of despair, they cried out to God and they thought God didn't hear them and God didn't care and they walked away. Listen to me. When you were in that place and you cried out to God, he heard you. When I was lying in that bed as an eight-year-old and my family's falling apart and I don't know which way's up and I'm crying out to God. He heard me. Do you understand? God heard you and his deliverance took longer than you hoped it would. But I want you to know that he heard you. And so I want us to reflect again on where we were. I want you to remember what God saved you from. And I want to give us the opportunity to raise a hallelujah for where God has delivered us from. But I want to ask one extra thing. I want you to remember where you were delivered from, what storm. 
But I know many people are in the middle of the storm right now. Somebody came up to me after first service and they work in a pediatric NICU and they watched five babies die in two weeks. If you're in the middle of the storm to pray and to praise in faith, I want to ask you to have the courage to sing in the middle of the storm. To say in defiance to the devil that God is my deliverer. And let's raise a hallelujah together right now. Will you stand? And I'm going to pray and we're going to go into worship. Father, would you remind all of us of where we were? Of who we are apart from you? Of where we would be if not for you delivering us And Father, would we stand here today and give thanks for our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. God, would we raise a hallelujah. And God, would some of us choose to sing in the middle of the storm. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence." For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Well, I really hope that is healing for you to look at your dark place, to look at your trauma through the perspective of heaven from the perspective of God. And so that's what David did. He said, I know what was happening and it was horrible, but I know who my God is. That was kind of what his deliverance was. But now at this part, he kind of looks at, okay, well, how did God actually deliver him? Right? So what does that actually mean? I think this is so important for us to have true and kind of healthy expectations Of what does that actually look like in our lives for God to deliver us from these things, right? So he's been like 
looking at his circumstance through the lens of heaven, from God's perspective. And at this part, David kind of brings them together. And he kind of considers how that actually happened. Like, what did that practically look like in his life? David knew it was by the mighty hand of God that he was delivered by God and God alone. But what did that look like in his life? How did that actually play out for David? And I think it's so important, again, because I think we can over-spiritualize things at times. Right? We can get in that posture of you're in the middle of a battle and a fight. Okay, God's got this. And I can just step back and be passive. I think in the midst of that passage, there's a verse that shows kind of really clearly and gives you an idea of what David's deliverance was like and what ours can be like. Look in the middle of that section. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. I don't know that that's what I would have put if just given the first section, right? Because when we think of God's deliverance, again, God coming down from heaven, riding a cherub, you know, throwing bolts of lightning and shooting arrows, that's what it said God did. Is that what it looked like for David? Like when David was face to face with Saul, did God shoot him with a lightning bolt? And he was like, ta-da! No, read it. That's not what happened. There weren't actual, again, that's the unseen eyes of faith. For David, it wasn't like, you know, he was out on a battlefield. So when you picture David going out to battle, it talked about that. Don't picture Narnia. There weren't like crazy like animals and eagles attacking their enemy. You know what David's battle looked like? A battle. And I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize it, and then we can fall into, we just proclaim God is going to save me. And what do we do? Hey, I just let go, let God. And I step back. And that's not on me. I don't need to do my part because God's got me. God's got this. I'm going to go play some video games. Was that David's approach? What was the supernatural deliverance of God? It was strength for the battle. Talk about, you know, him having the strength to thrust through his enemies. So we think of God's deliverance. I think we need to wrap our heads around God actually meeting us in the middle of a battle. And as Christians, we don't even think oftentimes I should be in a battle, right? When I gave my life to Jesus The next day, just a bunch of puppy dogs arrived at my door. Ice cream arrived every day thereafter. And I saw rainbows every day of my Christian life. That's not the picture. It's not that God removes me from every battle, but joins me in the battle. We love the picture of Jericho. Think of God's people going to the promised land. We love Jericho. When they just screamed and God brought the walls down. There's a reason most of you probably know the battle of Jericho, but not the battle of Libna. Because you know what happened there? A battle, and they fought, and God gave them the strength to win. I'm sure some of their men died, but more of the enemy's men died. And we don't think like that. We want the lightning bolt from heaven, right? 
And this is kind of just more my kind of pastoral experience. And I want you to think about this because I think we always pray for miracles and sometimes pray for strength. I think the reality is we always get strength and sometimes get a miracle. What do we, we want that miracle, right? Maybe you're in that storm. And maybe your storm is a diagnosis. And I'm not saying it's fine. Pray for the miracle, right? That's okay. But what if God's deliverance isn't curing you of cancer, but giving you strength to go through chemo? Right? Maybe your storm, you're in the middle of a marriage and you're just praying like, God, make my husband not be him anymore. That would be great deliverance. God's like, well, what if I just give you strength to love that person who doesn't love you back? We want the miracle. We want God, just make this go away. And God's saying, look, we're going to do battle, but I kind of want to do it together. One of my favorite ways of understanding this This was helpful to me. Look, I want you to pray like it all depends on God. And I want you to live like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. Live like it all depends on you. That's what David was doing. He continued to fight. He continued to battle. Maybe God doesn't just fix your marriage, but maybe he gives you the strength today to call a counselor, to keep fighting for your kids, to keep doing what you need to do. You got to keep stepping up and showing up for the fight. You have to keep battling. Don't quit and just let go and let God. God is with you in the battle. But don't be shocked when a battle looks like a battle. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your health. Fight for your kids. But keep fighting with the unbelievable promise that we're fighting a battle that he's already won. You don't fight alone. He fights with you. I wish he would just take it away. I pray that for you. But are you open to the fact that God says, I want to fight with you and I'm going to give you the strength to keep fighting. So keep fighting your battle. Would you stand And we're going to go back to worshiping God who fights with us. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. 
all this psalm, this was the hardest for me. If you're following the numbers, I actually skipped over. This was the middle part, but it was the hardest part, so I put it at the end. Because <laughs> this gets into the why. You look at God's deliverance of how he does that, and it's not how we always want or when we want or even maybe this side of heaven, but this gets into why David was delivered. And I was so just inspired by our warrior king who comes to fight for us, to deliver us. And then I got to this part, and it was just like the balloon popped. You ever have like where your team has just got all the momentum and you're going to come back for this victory and your QB just throws a pick and it's just like, (sighs) you could feel like the stadium go flat. That's how I felt when I read this. Because we get into David explaining his deliverance and why did God deliver him? And it says it right there in the middle. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And I get so confident, man, God's going to rescue me. Why? Can you say that? Well, for David, it was simple. Why did God rescue me? Well, my righteousness, my cleanness, I'm blameless, and I'm pure. If I were to make everybody in here write a list of themselves, hey, what are the things that describe you? Well, I'm an Enneagram 5. I'm righteous. I'm blameless. I'm pure and clean. David was saved because God is just and faithful, and he was suffering unjustly. That caused some tension within me. Wait a minute. Does God save me because I deserve it? Because I'm so good and that's how I can trust that God will deliver me because I deserve it in my righteousness? And that's where this is really interesting. Because if you study this, Psalm 18 is almost word for word taken out of 2 Samuel 22. Do you want to know the difference? As one commentator put it this way, 22, 2 Samuel 22 is just David's personal prayer. Remember, that's who wrote the psalm. Now, Psalm 18 is an adaptation of that song for the whole people to sing because their well-being is now tied to the offspring of David. God's people were singing this. And God didn't save his people because of just their righteousness. It was the righteousness of their king. And it says it is tied in to the offspring of David. They had great hope as a people because they put their hope in their righteous king. Look where the psalm ended. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed and to David, and listen to this, and his offspring forever. Do you know what the New Testament calls Jesus 17 times? Son of David. Part of our great hope of this psalm is it is with how messianic psalms, it points to Jesus. That word anointed, you know what that word is? It's Messiah. It's the word for Christ. So that Israel, the people of God, had trust that God was going to deliver them because of their righteous king. Now here we are on this side of the cross. 
All our hope isn't that we are righteous. It's in the offspring of David. It's in King Jesus. And God treats us with that kind of deliverance because of Christ. Our great hope isn't that God owes it to me and he's going to deliver me because I'm righteous. It's I have put my trust in a righteous king. And God saves his people on their behalf. I mean, that is a picture of the gospel that we hold to. Not in our righteousness, but in his. Did you see in the middle of this, he rescued me because he delighted in me. I mean, we talk about God delivering you. Do you know that God delights in you? And how is that possible? Through the cross. We talked about the anger of God. How do we know that that anger isn't aimed at us? Because God aimed it at the cross of Christ. And if you put your faith in him, then you can trust that you are a child of God and he delights in you. God doesn't just deliver you because it's his duty. He delights in you because you are a child of God, not because you earned it, but because of Christ. And the only question is, have you cried out to him and put your faith in him? And if that is true, you have great hope. And I want you to stand one more time as we can worship and sing. Stand right now as we sing and remind ourselves it is only because of Jesus that we have hope. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.